Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 53rd episode, and I am here after the Miami Grand Prix. It's the second one ever, and it's the second leg of a back-to-back. But before we get into the spectacle in South Beach, first, a quick reminder, please go to the link tree in the description. It includes uh, where basically you can find all my podcast pages, like the platforms you can find the show, my YouTube channel, my Twitter, and my TikTok. It has my email address if you'd like to contact me, as well as my personal accounts, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Well, it was, again, like I said, the second ever race at Miami, the Miami International Autodrome. I don't think I ever hear anyone actually call the track by its name, Um, but that's the name, just so you guys know. Um, But yeah, let's get into this action and talk about whether we saw this race improve. Alright, as ever, the storylines heading into the Grand Prix, we're going to Look back at last weekend, the ratings came out for the Sprint Weekend in Baku, and they were actually looking pretty good. Uh, the extra sessions that we would get for practice, um, you know, actually having racing or meaningful laps of qualifying um, did prove to be better for the ratings. Um, the jury is still out on whether, you know, people actually enjoy the Sprint Weekends. I just feel like they have to tune in for the sprints because, you know, they feel like they could miss something. Um, so we'll see. The ratings are something that F1 is definitely obviously going to look at. Um, so seeing them be positive is obviously going to encourage the sprints, not, um, you know, make them consider getting rid of them. But anyway, another kind of big storyline, Brad Pitt. I'm sure many of you guys have heard this already, but if you haven't, he will be driving an actual F1 car, although even that report seems to be a little bit sus now. I think people are saying it's probably more of like an F2, F3 car. Um, And the original report also said that it would be alongside the rest of the grid at Silverstone as part of the new movie that's in production. And an 11th team will film on track for the rest of the season. Um, Some of those reports, I think, have been over-exaggerated. I think... You know, he'll be at Silverstone, he'll be in an F2 or F3 car, and he will probably, you know, be on the grid with the other F1 cars at times. In no way is Brad Pitt going to be a part of the race. Um, I I can't see them doing that, but we'll see. I still think there's more to confirm there. Either way, it's being called the most realistic Formula 1 movie. You know, Lewis Hamilton is an advisor for the movie, and I guess he's in talks with them all the time. Um, so yeah, um, I just think it's kind of funny, you know, an 11th team, maybe that's how Andretti Cadillac actually get on the grid. They just have to film a movie. Um, and then they actually have an F1 team. Uh, <laughs> um, I did think that's kind of funny that I, I had this written down before the race weekend even started. And then, uh, Michael was actually on the grid, um, on Sunday and spoke with Martin Brundle and actually gave a little bit of an update that, you know, Andretti is still moving forward, trying to become that 11th team. And they're like submitting their papers to F1 pretty soon. I don't know if he's just saying that because, you know, the camera's on him and whatnot, but um, that could be also very interesting. But um, let's go back before the weekend. Um, Always a bunch of, you know, extra stuff in Miami and, you know, the hype of the weekend and, um, it always brings out all these these marketing stuff and special merch and liveries and and helmets 
and um, just wanted to highlight a couple of those things. Um, we saw Lewis shooting hoops for an IWC event um, with James Marsden there, and I, I didn't actually, you know, look into completely what that event was all about. I just saw some pictures and Lewis shooting uh, some hoops in a all pink outfit. Um, but you know, just that you don't see those type, you don't see that type of stuff for like the Imola Grand Prix that we're going to have in two weeks time. Right. So, um, that's cool. You know, Valtteri and Joe were at uh, Miami Marlins game. Uh, I think it was Valtteri. Yeah. Joe threw the first pitch, I think. And Valtteri was getting like photo bombed by one of the Marlins. Uh, Lando and Alex dropped some pretty cool helmets. I think it was funny that at, well, I guess it does kind of fit Alex because his girlfriend is on the LPGA, I think is what it's called. Like, I'm sorry. I, I do apologize if I'm messing that up. Um, but yeah, she's on like the woman's tour for like, you know, she's a professional golfer. So he brought out the golf helmet, which is pretty cool. And then Lando had to keep the expectations high, I guess, from his basketball helmet last year. So he went to the beach ball this year. I've actually, you know, talked with my friends. I tried to get their verdict. What do you guys think, the basketball or the beach ball? Basically, all their responses were the basketball is way better or they're both trash. So safe to say no one really liked the beach ball that much, but I thought it was all right. Anyways, then, of course, getting to the liveries, Red Bull launched one of their three fan-made liveries. I think one of the coolest things that Red Bull's doing this year, um, having contests, I will say, well, they're going to be at all three U.S. races if you if you kind of forgot when those liveries were going to be. So we're not going to see one for quite a while now because Coda is in like August or something. Um, but I will say, and this is in no way um, a slight to the person that made the livery because, you know, at the end of the day, it did look good. I just had higher expectations, I guess. Like I thought they were going to be able to go a little crazier with it. Like maybe they're... Like, I don't know, I, I didn't do the contest or it by any means, but like maybe Red Bull's kind of like, you know, okay, you know, you can't be like throwing like these random colors on there. It, it looked still to me, it looked like a normal Red Bull with a bit of pink and like Miami Vice colors. Like it was kind of lame to me, to be honest. Maybe, I don't know if that, I didn't see anyone really react too much to the Red Bull liveries and maybe that's why, because it was lame. If everyone loved it and I'm the only one kind of sounding off about it, then I'm an idiot, whatever. Um, I don't know. I didn't think it was that cool. And I barely noticed it on the car until they went up close on the Red Bull. And then I was like, oh, yeah, they have a special livery this weekend. I don't know. I didn't love it. I'm hoping that for Vegas or something, like, we get, like, a crazy design. That's what I was kind of hoping for. I thought you open up to the fans. People are going to spend, like, hours and hours and hours just making this insane livery yet all we got was kind of a couple stripes. So, um, you know, still a great job to the person who designed it. Like, it looked good. It flowed well and everything. It just, you know, it didn't stand out to me. I don't know, but maybe that's because Red Bull was holding the designers back. Anyway, let's let's stop talking about the pre-race stuff and get into the action. We're going to skip over um, what kind of went down in practice. I guess I'll quickly mention Mercedes 1-2 in FP1. Um, but that was because they actually didn't have a great practice. They were kind of behind, and then they went out and did their quality runs a little later than everyone and, and benefited from the track evolution that is uh, pretty crazy around here. But anyway, Q1. Um, we're going to kind of rapid fire through this um, and get to Q3 because that's where all the excitement was. Q1, we had... I would say just just some yikes. Just some yikes from McLaren especially and Lance Stroll 
both McLarens and Lance Stroll out in Q1, and also Logan Sargent, his first qualifying on U.S. soil, qualifies 20th, his teammates up there almost in the top 10, and he is out pretty handedly in Q1. Um, and then the McLarens, I, I I don't know why they were so off the pace this weekend, um, but yeah, they did not look good in qualifying, and just getting ahead of myself a little bit, they did not look good in the race either. And then the thing with Stroll, I will say this, and I guess for the, this applies to all of them, I guess. Um, the qualifying here was actually all pretty close. Like, um, you know, Stroll, it sounds terrible. Well, it is terrible that he was qualified 18th, but he was only like, you know, still six tenths off of Alonso. Like, that is a lot to be down on your teammate, but it's not like, you know, he had a failure, and that's what led to him 18th. Like, he was just kind of slow, and all those midfield teams slotted in the gaps between the six tenths. Like, that is pretty incredible. Um, so, it may, maybe it was more than six tenths now that I think about it, because that just seems like a ridiculous field spread. So, maybe he was a second off in Q1. I don't know. Either way, it was still just the the qualifying pace was very evenly spread out, which was, I think, nice to see. But anyway, moving on to Q2, the easy storyline of Q2 is Lewis Hamilton, who actually was quicker than Russell in Q1 and I think was looking decent throughout the practice sessions, just doesn't quite maximize his final lap. He wasn't happy with the team sending him out really late. He wanted to just be able to work on his outlap, not have to worry about it. Instead, he kind of had to rush it a bit. I think he ran into some traffic on the outlap too, and... uh, to me, still not really an excuse, but Russell also just squeaked in. You know, the Mercedes was not um, dialed in for qualifying at all. Um, so it was kind of like a reverse of last weekend, to be honest, because Hamilton just squeaked in and back you, and Russell was out. And now, you know, Hamilton was out, and Russell just squeaked through. And then we actually saw kind of a similar race for both of them as well. Um, but anyway, still staying in qualifying. We had Bontas, Magnuson, and the Alpines all qualify for uh, in Q3, so great job for them. But let's get into Q3. So right off the bat, I think Perez was one of the first people to set a lap, um, and he goes purple, 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 lays down the marker. And we also see Magnuson put at P4. Then Verstappen's out there. We're thinking, okay, here we go. Now we're going to see Verstappen put probably about a quarter of a second on Perez. That's kind of the gap he had all throughout practice, and he has a massive, massive moment in Sector 1, um, kind of at the huge sweeping left-hander. If you if you know the track, you would know what I'm talking about. Um, backs off his lap, spends the next couple of minutes in the pits. It's going to be all down to that final lap, so just remember that. So, and we get to those final laps. We're on board with Charles Leclerc, who I don't remember. I think his lap wasn't great. Yeah, I guess, no, it wouldn't have been great. Yeah, his, his previous lap wasn't great. Um, and he did look like he was absolutely flying through the first sector. The Sky commentary was hilarious. They're like, oh, look at this. He is wringing that Ferrari's neck. This is F1 at its best. High octane speed. And then we just see Leclerc absolutely bend it. Like, he spun a few times, went into the wall at high speed. Um, yeah, it was a, a, a crash that shocked the crowd. Um, and red flag comes out with a minute and 20 seconds left. 
not enough time for a car to get around the track on an outlap and then make it to the line, let alone, you know, the whole field. So the session's over and it stays like that. Verstappen didn't have a time. Bottas didn't either. So Verstappen qualifies P9. The grid is all wacky. Magnussen, like I said, is P4. We have the top three, all the Hispanic drivers in Perez, Alonso, and Sainz. Uh, Leclerc wasn't great. Russell was kind of lucky to finish in sixth. Hamilton finished sixth in Baku, and it wasn't exactly lucky. He did have a good lap, but still, that's kind of what I meant by the reverse. So kind of a crazy grid going into Sunday, and I think that that kind of made some people happy, knowing that we could be in for a bit of a dull race like Miami was last year. So let's get right into that. Actually, no, wait. We have something to, t- to talk about just before the race, and that is what I, d- I dedicated an entire segment to last year, and that is the Brundle Miami Grand Prix Gridwalk. This year, not as you know comically awkward as it was last year. I know Brundle got a lot. like He actually had to respond to his gridwalk on Twitter last year because it was just that awkward and ridiculous, and he was like, guys, this is in my job description. You know, I, I don't love it either, but I do it and I try and, and I I, res- I respected his response, actually. But anyway, this year, the actually thinking about last year, the, the moment of last year's gridwalk, in my opinion, was going up to Paolo Bancaro and calling him Patrick Mahomes. And this just being like a super confusing and awkward conversation. And he's like, ah, that ain't me. And he didn't understand that this guy was going to be arguably the number one pick um as i don't think he would he had been drafted yet maybe i'm wrong but anyway he was up there um still balling for duke and this year brundle found him and was like palo bancaro i know your name now and palo you know he just got rookie of the year and he was like you know what i'm happy that you know my name now and it was kind of a cool moment i think and it also just kind of funny if you remembered back to last year but this moment right at the end of the grid walk takes the cake absolutely hysterical so brundle um he gets to the end and uh, we're about to do these driver announcements which i'm not going to break down if you if you didn't see it you can find them on twitter a lot of people hated them especially the f1 purists basically i guess i can just say what they are quickly each driver came out one by one in the order of the championship and you know LL Cool J was there and just like, the seven-time world champion, he's one of the, you know, like it was just like one of those, Lewis Hamilton, and then he comes out and walks out and waves to the crowd, and then it was to the next guy. Um, It was okay. Um, Logan and Max, I think, were the only two guys that actually spoke into the microphone. Um, So Logan was first, and I think once LL Cool J saw how quickly Nick DeVries was coming out of there in 19th, he was like, okay, I guess not everyone's going to be talking into the mic. Um, but anyway, we're not we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Brundle meeting up with Jackie Stewart right at the rope, and he's like, all right, well, this is going to be the end. And he saw Roger Federer, and he really wanted to talk to Roger. But Jackie Stewart was in front, and Jackie and, and Martin have a good relationship. And uh, you can hear Martin calling for Roger from behind the rope. Roger! 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 And Jackie's like, you know what? You know, I'm going under the rope. And Martin even makes some kind of funny comment. He's like, ah, you can't stop Jackie Stewart. He's a three-time world champion. What are you going to do? Beat him up or something? And 
security is like literally trying to slow Jackie Stewart down. Like of all people, like this little Scottish man who's also a legend of Formula One. And Jackie's like, no, no, no. And he just like kind of like brutes his way to Roger Federer and like grabs him by the arm. And Roger's still like having a conversation with another group of people. And you can just see Jackie Stewart with his like hand on Roger Federer looking back at Martin being like, one sec, I got this. I got this. Still tugging on Roger's arm. And Roger's like, what? What is going on? And Jackie's like, you got to go talk to Martin. (laughs) And Martin's like, oh, Jackie, don't don't get yourself kicked out for me. But he actually gets Roger Federer to come come and do an interview with Martin. And even though Martin said, he's like, I don't even have time for this. But they could not shut his gridwalk down when Jackie Stewart was going out of his way to get Roger Federer for him. Uh, so it, that was just an absolutely hilarious moment. And if you don't watch the pre-race, like sometimes I don't even watch the pre-race. If you didn't hear because you didn't have time or you just don't care, that is a video easily found on Twitter. Literally just, you know, search Jackie Stewart click videos somebody will have a video of that it was hilarious so now let's get into the action um at the start all clean besides maybe a couple minor incidents um you know Verstappen he stayed out of trouble but Hamilton got tagged lightly he was okay um and Nick DeVries also went into the back of Lando um and I didn't see what happened to Logan Sargent but he also had to come in for an early pit stop and his his race is basically screwed right from there. On, on lap three, he came in for the nose change, and his pit stop took 27 seconds, I think. And then, you know, even if he did have like okay pace this weekend, that was just way too much to overcome. Um, so really tough, we, tough first weekend on American soil for him. But I feel like maybe even just spending that time in the back and just getting a full race distance in could have maybe been beneficial. I don't think he came into the pits again. Maybe he did. Um, so maybe he did the entire rest of the race on the hard tire. I actually have no idea. But anyway, the, once the race settled down, um, you know, a bit of, you know, movers at the front. I think Magnuson dropped back a bit. Piastri had a worldly of a start. Um, but once it settled down, this was all about how quickly Verstappen was going to get through the field and whether Perez was going to be able to build up a, a decent gap. And I have to say, it was the Verstappen show. Um he actually fell back one place at the very beginning, re, re-overtook Esteban Ocon before the end of the first lap. So he was back in ninth. And then from there, his making way through the field was a beautiful sight. Um, and Perez not really building the gap that I would have expected him to. Um, so I've actually decided, guys, that I, you know what? I've not decided. I have, forget that I said that. I am changing my mind on the fly here. I had planned on recapping this race a little bit differently, but I'm saving it for later because I have another thing in mind um, for prize, demise, and surprise. I'll say that now. So um, the battle between Perez and Verstappen was kind of the entire race at the front. Um, Verstappen making his way through the field really nicely, and by lap 14 was already on the back of Perez and he was on the hard tire. Verstappen was on, uh, sorry, yeah, Verstappen was on the hard tire. Perez was on the medium tire. And I do think the fact that Perez was on the medium and had a lot more fuel in that Red Bull than, you know, when Max at the end of the race had to put on the mediums and and kind of, you know, had they had the strategy offset, um, I think played a bit into Max's hands, the fact of how much quicker he was than Perez, let's be honest, and then also just how quickly he got through the field. 
Um, it benefited him massively to be on the mediums at the end when, you know, the tire wasn't going to fall off. Um, and Perez was struggling on the medium, so he was really slow at the end of his stint, and then he put on the new hards, and because the hards just had no dag, which, I mean, again, is a, another issue that Pirelli has to figure out, um, Verstappen was able to just keep churning in great lap times on older hards than Max, and then Sergio, just because Max is quicker this weekend. So I guess I'm just giving it away, and I am kind of recapping this differently um, because I wanted to get straight into the, Max and Checo. So yeah, I don't even know. I, I'm all over the place, guys. I ended up recapping it exactly how I originally planned. And then I thought I was changing my mind on the fly. And then I didn't change it at all. I just went straight into the Perez and Max um, debate. So yeah, obviously, based off of what I'm saying, the fact that Max Verstappen was doing faster lap times on 20 lap old hard tires is not only a testament to how great Verstappen's drive was, how great of driver he is, it's also Pirelli. Figure it out. This is this is not good. It is ruining races how every single one is just a one-stop and everyone's on the hard tire for the whole race. It's not good. Hard tires are, are fine sometimes, you know? Doing a one-stop versus a two-stop, but like actually having your hard tire degrade can be an interesting strategy, but it's no fun. When everyone's one-stopping, when people try an aggressive two-stop against a one-stop, the one-stop is always going to be further up the road because the two-stop has to, you know, they have to do a second stop. It's an extra 20 seconds on their race time. But when the the hard tire is so good, the two-stop is never worth it because you're never, ever going to catch up back to the hard tire. And, and the soft tires degrade too quickly. The soft is useless. McLaren put the soft on at the beginning they had to pit right away because they, they melted. So Pirelli, please, for the love of God, you are arguably the biggest problem with Formula One right now. I know I was kind of getting on the whole um, dirty air issue. And honestly, I think I just I think I was overreacting. This race was actually pretty good. Um, you know, let, let's let's just keep going and you'll see. I have some good things to say about the Miami race, to be honest. So Hamilton, we'll, we'll quickly just mention him. He was stuck behind Alex Albon for a while, but I think he once he finally got past him, he really started to make some good progress, got past Nico Hulkenberg, and then once he uh, he pitted, he put on the medium tire. I mean, he did have a bit of, a, a, of an area of the race where he was out there, and then when the medium runners put on the new hards, they were quicker, like he had to let Russell past. Um, but then once Hamilton put on the mediums, I thought his pace looked very strong. Um, and the fact that he was able to catch up and, and finish P6 in the end, um, I'll just throw that out there, was really great for him. Um, Charles Leclerc, just an overall bad weekend from him, really struggled for pace. Magnussen dropped back at the beginning and was in front of Charles Leclerc for 40 laps. Magnussen, fantastic weekend from him. Staying ahead of Charles Leclerc and a Ferrari for 40 laps, though, is more so like what was going on with Charles this weekend. Um, that was quite surprising. But again, the racing between them, fantastic. I mean, Magnussen, like Charles overtook him like three times and Magnussen got him back every time. It was actually a really awesome battle. Um, I do think the Ferrari's tire dag again came out and kind of reared its ugly head on them again because Sainz was all over the back of Alonso in the early stages and then 
fell off at the end because the Ferraris are just not good on their tires. And speaking of Alonso, he was in a league of his own, kind of best of the rest. Um, He was so comfortable in P3 that he was watching Lance Stroll battle with the Alfa Romeos on the Jumbotron at the end of the race. Like, just incredible stuff from him that we're seeing. I think he's got a P... He's got... Yeah, he's got a P3 in every single race weekend. Besides the sprint, he finished P4. He, he's He's been spectacular. Um, and I guess just before I get into the race results, because I've basically broke it all down, um, I have more to say in the prize, demise, and surprise segment. Um, just what a clean race. Guys, we had no collisions, no retirements, no yellow flags. So obviously no safety car, red flag, or um, virtual safety car. We almost went the entire race distance without a penalty too, but signs unfortunately sped in the pit lane and it actually didn't mean anything because signs was eight seconds up the road from Hamilton or something, or maybe it was even 13 seconds. I don't know. Um, but it didn't end up meaning anything, but still just what a clean race. Um, someone actually did the math of how many laps it would have been because it was like 50 or something laps times 20. Um, so it was they said it was like 1,100 laps of perfection. Um, and I don't know about that. You know, it was a little scrappy at the beginning. A couple front wings lost. Um, just still, though, no red flags, no spins. No one locked up and went off. Pretty spectacular job, I would say, from from the F1 drivers here. And I actually enjoyed the race. But still, more to, more to get into on that front in just a moment. Let's get into the results. Max Verstappen, like I said, a superb drive, finished actually five seconds up the road from Sergio Perez, got driver of the day, an absolutely sickeningly good performance from him, Um, and yeah, more to get into on that. Fourth 1-2 for Red Bull in five races, of course, Checo did finish in second, P3, Fernando Alonso, very comfortable, I hope you listened to Brad's bets last week, because I had him, I had him. I had a P3 at minus 105, so you could have doubled your money just about, not quite, but pretty much doubled your money on that one. Um, Fernando Alonso, how about this? Also, 15 points every single weekend this year. He had 12 uh, points in in the Baku race, plus three in the sprint. So uh, it's been easy counting up his points this year, that's for sure. Um, P4, George Russell, solid drive from him to beat signs comfortably. Um, so yeah, science was in P5, although much better weekend relative to Charles Leclerc. Um, P6, Lewis Hamilton, as I said, that's the second race in a row that Lewis has been P6. Uh, nice recovery from him. Mercedes looking better in the race. P7, Leclerc, uh, he did finally get ahead of K-Mag, um, and actually Pierre Gasly as well, but just, yeah, not his best weekend. So yes, Gasly, was P8. I thought, you know, he fought hard at the very end. He lost a P6 finish in the dying laps to both Hamilton and Leclerc. Um, Great job. He finished ahead of his teammate, Ocon. Completed my bold prediction of the Alpine double points finish. He had P9. And then in P10, K-Mag did hold on to his brilliant qualifying to snag a point for Haas. Um, So, Great job from K-Mag as well. The driver standings now, we have Max Verstappen with a 14-point advantage on Sergio Perez. He has 119. Perez has 105. Fernando Alonso with 75 points. A nice clean number, like I said, 15 every weekend from him. Lewis Hamilton is still in fourth. He is now 19 points back, though, on Fernando Alonso. Fernando's starting to run away with the best of the rest drivers championship. Um, 
Lewis still has a 12-point advantage on Carlos Sainz, who's in P5 with 44. It's a little tight here. George Russell has 40. Charles Leclerc is 34. Um, so it'll be interesting kind of to see where these guys end up at the end. I think retirements and, and you know, maximizing weekends is, is really what's going to make the difference here. Um, the fact that, you know, Charles Leclerc has had two, DN- two DNFs. Yeah, two DNFs, right? He didn't, did he, what happened with Charles in Australia? Wow, why my, oh yeah, he did DNF in Australia. So 34 points, two DNFs. I mean, that's still not terrible. But anyway, um, Lance Stroll, 27. He's kind of there, thereabouts with that group too. Not quite. Um, And then big gap to Lando Norris, who has 10. And Pierre Gasly is next with eight. So Nico Hulkenberg has been dispatched from the top 10 by Pierre Gasly. Just pointing that out. Looking at the constructors, Red Bull extends their place on top again, 224 points already. The next best is Aston Martin with 102. They only have a six-point advantage on Mercedes with 96. Then it's Ferrari with 78. Then a huge drop-off to McLaren and Alpine, who are now tied on 14 points. Then it's Haas with eight, Alfa Romeo with six, Alfa Tauri with two, and Williams with one. Tough one, tough one for Williams. I I can't believe that they're still only on one point at this at this you know point of the season for lack of a better word. Um, but anyway, guys, let's get in to prize, demise, and surprise. All right, the prize, it's gonna be Max Verstappen, right? I mean, did anyone else really have that great of a drive? I mean. Good for the Alpines for bouncing back. You know, I think K-Mag getting a point for Haas was great, but no one really was phenomenal besides Max Verstappen, who was exactly what I just said, phenomenal. He he was so good. And like I said, sickeningly good. But I want to go straight into the demise because I am going to give it to Lance Stroll just because either the excuses have stopped and he is so far off of Fernando Alonso right now. And I I don't think that many of us are surprised by that, but still he's got to be better. But I put in brackets also Checo because that's kind of what I want to talk about here. The championship segment is going to be making its return for the triple header. Um, I know I did that all sorts of episodes last year. And I haven't brought it back just yet because I kind of wanted to see the championship and everyone's pace after Imola because I think that's when we're going to, we have a full painted picture of what it's going to be like mostly for the rest of the season. Um, but I think right here already was, it was just such a punch in the gut for me because I was really hoping that I, I would put all my money on Max Verstappen to win the Drivers' Championship even before this race. Don't get me wrong, but I was hoping that maybe you know when Max has bad weekends or a bad qualifying, that Checo can capitalize and just keep this interesting. You know, maybe build some tension within the team. But this weekend already, the way Max Verstappen just dominated Checo from P9 on the grid tells me that you know what tensions probably aren't even going to rise. Max Verstappen is going to walk to this championship. We're about to get to a part of the of the you know schedule where taking up Monaco, we have all sorts of traditional tracks that Max has always been better at than Sergio Perez, and I just don't see how you know Max isn't going to be up by like fifty points at the end of this triple header. Even probably like 
it's it's just not it's just not looking good for the championship fight already and i think people are already starting to to write Max Verstappen as a three-time world champion and i know that sounds so pessimistic but god that's exactly how i felt after this race now the surprise a huge positive i'm saying the miami track i mean guys i don't understand why people like you know actually i want to i want to call someone out right now and there's no way that he listens to this podcast but if you guys know the youtuber aldas i mean i have a tremendous amount of respect for him i think he's a great content creator for f1 he knows his stuff he's he's entertaining but he tweeted out during the race this track is dead and i i actually wanted to strangle him <laughs> i wanted to strangle him are you kidding me we cannot keep pretending that the baku city circuit or whatever the hell it's called is a good track and then we go to miami and we get a pretty decent race and we get people saying this track is dead we also have matt gallagher who used to be from F- uh, wtf1 and now he's the p1 podcast another fantastic content creator just making fun of the Miami streets, uh, the the Miami Grand Prix, I guess. I already forget what it's called. The International Autodrome, whatever. The the Hard Rock Stadium track is what it should be called. Um, just making fun of it already and just saying that oh, the track's good. They even did a video about why overtaking is going to be impossible around Miami. Like, why is it fun to just shit on the, on the American races? I don't understand. Code is great, but everyone's already writing off Vegas saying it's going to be horrible without even seeing a race there. And people are already saying Miami is like the worst track on the calendar. I thought it was fantastic. It's a great qualifying track. We saw real racing for the first time this year. I shouldn't, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say the first time, but like, honestly, like the amount of overtaking we got was pretty good. Um, Verstappen was pretty much the only one out there making it look easy with just easy, you know, DRS blowbys. Everyone else was making moves under braking. We, like I said, Kevin Magnuson um, got like Leclerc back multiple times you know uh, Leclerc would pass him on the huge back straight and then Magnuson would pull off a nice little switchback move and get him back with DRS into turn one um, we saw Hamilton with some really nice moves the one on the inside on Leclerc was fantastic also a little switchback on Bottas I mean I can't remember all the moves in this race but like we saw actual racing and Baku was horrendous horrendous and I and people were so hungry for overtaking that they wanted the you know the DRS to be extended again so we would just get easy DRS blowbys Miami's DRS was was shortened as well and we got great racing so it's kind of funny how you know the DRS getting shortened in one circuit everyone's like what a horrible decision and then we we get it at this circuit and it was a great decision so um Still, and we got a double overtake. How have I not mentioned that yet? Double overtake alert. Max Verstappen's move on Leclerc and Magnussen was gorgeous. And I think it definitely looked like Red Bull was, you know, racing two F2 cars because it was that ridiculous coming down that um, the shortest straight of all the DRS zones too, by the way, the the start finish straight is not that long. And he absolutely blew past the Ferrari in the Haas, who I think probably got compromised exits because they were kind of wheel to wheel. But exactly my point, the fact that cars are going wheel to wheel and someone is able to pull off a double overtake, I thought the Miami track was, you know, not sensational, but like a solid B plus. And I think some of you might think I'm crazy for that. And I guess my response is no, 
you're the crazy one. Anyway, grid rival, my team, I had Verstappen, I had Perez, I had Gasly, I had Ocon, I had Magnussen, and then I had the Williams team. The Williams team was trash, um, but everyone else, really good weekend. I did unfortunately choose Ocon as the talent driver and not Magnussen or Gasly. Both of them would have scored more points. Um, Magnussen would have got me 286. Gasly would have got me two quick maths, uh, 278. Ocon got me 256. So unfortunately, that was not the best person for, for talent driver. But at the end of the day, still getting, you know, 128 points from your talent driver isn't bad because, of course, that doubles. 256, still a pretty solid weekend. I did outscore Darnell, but I did not retake first place. He is still there. I'm pretty sure you can still join the league. I I do think that eventually it cuts off, um, but we have people who already aren't playing. So if you want to just come in and see if you can beat me on a week-to-week basis, it's still in my link tree, guys. Um, I will probably eventually stop mentioning it because there is a cutoff. I, I know there is a cutoff where you can't join anymore. Um, so I don't know. Maybe this will be the last time I'm mentioning it. But, yeah, last call. Join join the Grid Rival League, guys. It's, it's good fun. Um, I think it's better than F1 Fantasy. So before I wrap up here, I know this has been kind of a quicker review. I think I've, I've spent a whole 40 minutes before on just the race review part. Um, we're only at the 37-minute mark. So I want to talk about something I did over the weekend. Um, and I actually it actually caused me to miss qualifying. I, I did catch up, of course, and watch it the next day before the race. Um, but I went karting, guys, for the first time ever. For someone with an F1 podcast, I've never raced ever in in any sort of car. Um, it, it's uh, it was foreign to me. You know, I, I raced in the F1 game, but I, I did it with a controller, so it was all sorts of of a new experience for me. I went to K1 Speed in Toronto, Ontario, um, and I figured I'd kind of go over my day and just talk about what I thought of my first experience and and even you know just like a amateur motorsport kind of scene. Um, so yeah, I'll say I went with my my girlfriend Amber. Um, we were there early, and uh, a guy was on track by himself, and you know he had his own helmet and gloves, and I could tell just from watching him out there too. Like he he had been th- here before, and he knows what he's doing. Like I know what a racing line is. This guy's on the racing line. He's he's definitely confident around the corner. So like, I can pick up on those things already, and I was kind of happy to be watching him. And then we get called to uh, come out and do our first race because we were there for three races. Um, and little do I know, we're racing with him. So he, they're like, okay, yeah, you can just go and get in your cart. Like, you, we, you know the rules. He has to, like, do a whole briefing with the rest of us. Um, but we actually get the front, too. So Amber is on pole position. She gets the cart right in front of me, and I was in second. Um, and right away, I had a little bit more confidence than her because she wasn't even going full throttle right away. So I, I went around her. Um, but it, under braking and in some of the really tight turns, like I was atrocious. I, it took me a while to build confidence. That guy who I said was out there on the track before he was, he blew past me right on lap one already. And, uh, yeah, like the left foot braking thing for me was getting used to like, you know, I drive my road car all the time and you know, you don't drive with your left foot. Um, so that was a little tricky for me at first. I was doing a lot of, you know, throttle and braking at the same time, which is not good. Um, eventually I did figure it out. I'll say that, but 
yeah, I felt like I was terrible because I was for the first half of the first race that we were there. But I will, I will say I was starting to figure it out a bit by the end. Um, I still came second, uh, barely ahead of Amber, to be honest, um, who was actually really rapid herself for the entire time we were there. She was always within like a couple tenths of me, so great job from her. Um, but the guy, his his name was Luke. The, he finished first, and his fastest lap was a 24-3. And I think in the first race, I had like a 25-6 or something like that. Like I was pretty far off, but it was my last lap. I was finally starting to get like somewhat on par with him. So I was looking forward to race two because I finally felt like I was starting to figure it out. And then I got way less laps in clean air. I was starting to kind of have my first run-ins with traffic. And I'll say this, I was starting to figure it out how to go fast, but I still had no idea how to race. My racecraft was appalling. Um, I can battle with one person and I actually did have a pretty nice battle with uh, someone in that race. Um, but put me in a pack with traffic and somehow like I I was on the losing end every time I would go in battling with one guy into, um, a a group of traffic. And if I wasn't bumping into a car, I mean, I didn't bump too much, but I was always like somehow like just getting caught out and running into a wall and having to back off and then getting pushed to the outside while the other guy's getting like an easy inside line. And I'm like, how is this happening to me every time? But anyway, just really bad racecraft, something I definitely needed to get better at. But still, when I did have those laps in free air, I was getting quicker and quicker. And I even did still win that race because I was just the quickest driver on track in the end. Um, but then we got to the third race. Again, I was really looking forward to this because I just kept getting faster and it was feeling great. The third race was a bit of a shambles. We had like a crash right away that brought out yellow flags and then we were slow for like a bunch of laps and we finally got up to speed and then I actually crashed because there's a hilarious video and uh, I will say this, I, I am planning on um, creating a YouTube video and some content for TikTok from my karting experience and I will definitely be showing this incident because it's hilarious. I'm chasing Amber down and we rerun into this wall of traffic that we got in both race two and race three, just some slower drivers who for whatever reason did not want to spread out and did not know what blue flags were. They in one of the tightest parts of the track completely slow us down. I thought I saw a gap on the outside. Amber just absolutely muscles her way through the group. And basically I just get pinched into the wall because I was on the outside and I actually caused a yellow flag with this, um, with this girl I reversed out and kept going and I actually set a really, really good lap, even though I barely got any good running Um, in that final race. I was only 1.5 seconds off the lap record and that was my first time ever karting. The only thing that I had any sort of experience doing before was like racing in the F1 game and just understanding like what a racing line is. So I think that probably explains why I was able to be quick when I had free air and then had just no idea how to race. Um, But still, 1.5 seconds off the lap record. I feel like F1 fans might be like, wow, you know, that's not too shabby for a first time. But keep in mind, these are really short tracks. You know, the lap record is a 22-1. And, or was it a 22? Yeah, I think it's a 22-1. So it was a bit over one and a half seconds. Um, But yeah, like I said, really short tracks that amount of time to be losing in a 22 second lap is quite a lot. You know, if it was a 22 minute lap, 1.5 seconds is nothing. But 
in a, in a short lap. That is quite a bit still. Um, but at the end of the day, I was still happy. I set a 23.8. So if you remember, the guy at the beginning, when I said his fastest lap in race one was, I was five tenths faster than him. And this guy also, we, you get like printed results um, uh, between or after every single race. And, you know, he came first and I could see his lap times. And right away I was like, oh, wow. Like also he had like the top time of the week, um, which was set when he was out there on his own. He had a 23-1. So I was still seven tenths off of his time. But he was basically just doing qualifying lap after qualifying lap. He had no traffic to deal with. And I had all sorts of traffic to deal with. And it was still my first time. So seven tenths off a guy just doing qualifying laps. Not too bad. But yeah, also on those on those printed sheets, this is what I was trying to say and I, I low-key forgot. Um, he was in the top 10 of like the drivers this year. Like K1 keeps points of people who like keep showing up to races, keep beating their competition and, and whatnot and setting the fastest lap and, and all that sorts of stuff. He was like fourth. So he had been going like a ton this year. And for me to even, you know, set a faster lap in a race than he set in the race with me, I was like, wow, you know, like I, I, I definitely was like, you know, when I got, I got some potential, man, I got some potential. I was really starting to figure out in the third way in the third race. And the reason why I got so much quicker was just that I, I, and I, it's weird because I knew this, I knew how it worked from the F1 game. And, and I just couldn't translate it to actually doing it with my feet until the end of the third race. I really started to figure out to just let the cart roll into the corner and you don't have to, you know, even just dab the brake for every corner. You don't have to brake for every corner. Sometimes you can just let the engine brake. Um, and that really helped me get around this really tricky corner on the track. And that was probably a one that I was losing a ton of time. Like I was sliding all over the place at the beginning. You'll see in the video if you end up watching it, but Overall, just my thoughts on karting was that it was so much fun. You know, if you think this is something that, you know, like only kids would enjoy, go to a real place like K1. It's, it, you know, all the carts are, are on an even, um, you know, playing field. You're not going to someone where some guy gets in like a rapid cart and then you're in some like slow piece of shit. Like they're all good. Um, the carts go up to 45, which doesn't sound like super fast, but around a small little track, you get up to speed. Um, the braking is very sensitive. You know, it it's physical too. I can't believe how physical it was. That was another thing I struggled with at the at the first races. I wasn't even just turning the wheel as much as I I didn't like I didn't realize that I could really just rip on the wheel and turn corners quicker. I was being way too smooth on the wheel and it was actually costing me like I wasn't getting over onto the racing line like I wanted to. Um yeah, it was a challenge and, and just building that confidence up and getting quicker and quicker throughout the three races was so much fun. I want to go back and, you know, actually race against some good competition instead of I was kind of with some people who were definitely like they were like I had people that were like 10 seconds off my pace on a 22 second track. Um, so that is that is very slow. Like they were just probably never once full throttle. And that was also another reason that kind of ruined the, didn't ruin the experience. I still had a ton of fun, but it ruined race three for sure. It was just because they were a wall on the track. I don't know why they were so insistent on being slow and also just driving right next to each other. But anyway, um, going with like a group of friends would be honestly so much fun, like racing against 10 other people that are all on similar pace. Like that would be an absolute blast. Um, so 
hopefully I get to to go back sometime. Um, there's another one in Mississauga that I think Amber and I have already discussed that we're going to have to try that one out next time. Um, so who knows? Maybe I'll even have a second video out once I have my second ever experience carding. Um, but yeah, basically right as soon as I finish uh, editing this this podcast up here, I'm going to be start working on that video. Um, and we'll see how well I can edit a video because I, I can, I'm good with audio, um, but I haven't edited a video probably since, since high school. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, guys, that's going to do it for episode 53 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 54 next Monday to preview the Amelia Romagna Grand Prix. It's always so fun to say Amelia Romagna. Um, and Shaq might be joining us for this. Um, it's not 100% confirmed, but we might have a guest for next week. Um, so look forward to that as well. But another thing to look forward to before I say the the classic outro, uh, a track that I've been pretty critical of is Imola. Um, but it's the first race of a triple header and the European leg. So that means big upgrades expected for a lot of the teams. So just remember that. We, we might have a little bit of a change in the packing order, but don't get your hopes up. I'll say that. Um, but still, something to look forward to for sure. So with that being said, goodbye. <laughs>